take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Anthony Quinn is um, Mexican, is he not? He is Mexican-Irish. Mexican-Irish. But we, and we noted this once before. He's been fucking everything. He, every ethnicity that's not white, they threw him in. Yes, absolutely. And, and probably white. As and well. several whites, yeah. <laughs> white with a Slavic tinge, boom, we got him covered. He's so, got your ass. he's seemingly likable, you know, on film, I find him typically so likable. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, in... in in a film that was made, I think, around the same year our first film was, and that is um, Guns of Navarone. Mm. Um, uh, very likable. Yeah. V- very, you know, extraordinary, yeah. like, relatable in a weird way. Um, back to Baton before. Yeah. Um, totally yeah. different character. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even when he's bitter, even even when he's um, I'd have a, beer a troubled with this. I would have a beer with this guy. Absolutely. There's a, there's a jovial manliness behind everything he does. But I've always suspected, and from what I've read, it's a little true, that he was not a likable man in what? real life. Well... I can't handle that. He had um, like 72 children. Right. By 73 oh, women. That'll do it, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> By 73, whoa, wait. But just, I mean, just, but uh, his kids didn't like him. This, I mean, I'm just remembering things I've read. So please, I, I hope this isn't libelous in any way to uh, surviving family members who will never hear this anyway. But I, I just, I remember reading some stuff about him not being, you know, being a little bit hard. Really? If you will, huh. as a person, which is, you know, it's sort of like finding out that Gregory Peck was a, <laughs> but Bing Crosby was a fucking dickhead, so right. why not, we're, right? we're finding that shit out all the time about our friends. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we're, we're talking about Anthony Quinn today, and I think there are so <laughs> and many- And we left nothing, we, we started off immediately with that one, so that was a cool Yeah, why not? I mean, yeah, just, go for it. I mean, I love, I love Anthony Quinn, and he's been in so many great things, and- He's um, such a fucking great actor. And there are some, there are some films that are probably more obvious than the ones we, we picked today, like, mm-hmm. the, I mean, the, the classic, obviously. Could be, I think, sixty four is Zorba the Greek. I, I think a lot of people want to talk about that. Sure, and I like that film. It's, yeah. it's a great film, and and there are films where he's if like equally weighted as the co star, like 1959's Much. Last Train from Gun Hill with Kirk Douglas. Sure. Well, uh, the uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, Guns of Navarone. I mean, that's that's yeah. a Gregory. I mean, that's a uh, that's a oh, fuck. What's his name? That's a yeah. Shut up. It's an Atticus Finch movie, but goddammit, he, he carries Peck. a bunch of the Gregory Pack. Yeah. Thank you. But he carries a shit ton of weight in that movie at the same time. I think time. he's as it's much a star every as Gregory he's Peck, in, yeah. he's, almost, he's almost as much of a star as the actual star is. Uh, another another example of that yeah. would be, um, oh, what the fuck was what? Man, my this brain is... a good is night no- for Tommy. I'm digging this, man. <laughs> the, fuck me. There's a film he was in. It's called something. Kirk Douglas. Last Train from Gun Hill. No. No. Uh, the, our, the Vince Van Gogh movie. Oh right, okay. Lust for Life. Lust yeah, for Life. He plays Paul Gauguin in that, but but yeah. he's but he's as powerful as Kirk Douglas is in that movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's just almost. I mean, I mean, there was a period of time. I'm going to say starting in 1980, probably, mm-hmm. where you know he he was in bad films. He was in bad like made for TV movies yeah. where he played a gaudy. Like you know, crime yeah, but he was boss kind of still a good, but he was kind of still one of the best characters in that. And there was you one know. called Revenge, I think it was. With, yeah, I remember that. Uh, that was uh, Kevin Costner. A, right? Kevin Costner. Yeah. yeah, he plays a Mexican crime lord, uh-huh. and Costner's like his best gringo buddy who 
ends up fucking his girlfriend, and it's all about uh, it's about revenge. Yeah, those later films, though, a lot of them, it's you could see that he's just sort of coasting and on things. A little right? bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. just so well established. But you know, he um, also it's, it's coming to but look, mind. Look, that's right. No, you could say he's coasting, but but De Niro, I mean, that's coasting. He's still compelling when he's doing his coasting, Anthony Quinn, I would say. Yeah, I would say De Niro has gotten to the point, and by that I mean the last 20 years plus, uh, where he's clearly simply cashing in. Yeah. That's all it is. Whereas I think Quinn, it sort of reminds me more of, you ever see, um, or hear or see any of those Orson Welles outtakes mm-hmm. where someone's telling him, or William Shatner. <laughs> Directing him. Well, remember the William Shatner one? It's um, Mr. Shatner, it's sabotage. You say sabotage. I say sabotage. You know, and it's sort of like, okay, because you're you, we'll say sabotage, you know? Uh, right. I mean, that's what I mean by coasting. Like, you sure. just, there's no sort of reality check or context for you anymore. Yeah. I'm also remembering a story um, that um, Anthony Quinn's, one of his first of 73 children um, in the 40s, um, drowned in mm-hmm. W.C. Fields' um, pond. Yeah. yeah. And it, right. it, it saddened. I mean, obviously Anthony Quinn, but also well, but it's also it's, it's also my, my understanding is it's also the reason Qu- uh, Fields got back into alcohol. Like he had been he'd been more or less a teetotaler for a number of years. In fact, he had been a teetotaler at the beginning of his career because he was such a fa- fantastic juggler that yeah. he that he, he fell off the wagon. That became part of his act, and then he got on the wagon. And then subsequent to Quinn's child dying in his pond, he started flicking diving into the alcohol. I, I think one. that by the time he was making films, he was <laughs> drinking heavily again. So I think he was already drinking by that eh, point. Okay, but right but right. you're right about. I mean, we. Should, would definitely do W.C. Fields episode at one point that W.C. Fields God. was in fact a teetotaler and a straight and narrow because his father had been such a, a weirdo and mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. relationship to the bar and then of course that's a juggler yeah yeah uh, anyway, so uh-huh. Anthony Quinn, all of this goes, we're starting with uh, 1962's uh, Requiem, Requiem for a Heavyweight. Heavyweight. Fuck. So many great things to say about this film, right? Yeah. Okay, so if, first one of all, one of my favorite movies. Overall, yeah, I, it's not one of my favorites, but it, it definitely is a great it goes one. goes in the top 20, 25 for me, I would he, say. He, um, it, it, it shares maybe with a film like Sweet Smell of Success, um, a brilliant gritty um heartless heartbreaking depressing cinematography yes instead of new york city of just the lives of these people absolutely and it, it, it's it's dreary it does so it does so many great things during the course of it like it does like the first person perspective shot from the from the protagonist standpoint yeah. for the first for the first what 5 7 10 minutes of the movie or so mm, it's like two but yeah i got yeah, you maybe, yeah. but but it seems like it seems like kind of a while but 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 it's just enough to really sort of it, it's it's a neat trick and they pull you it mentioned off. this previously when when we talked about dark passage dark passage and, and yeah you'd meant, and you're right this is probably much better than dark passage it's much but, better done because it's it's not so oppressive it gets a little weird and oppressive and gimmicky in Dark Passage, I think. But yeah, well, it's, it's a, a little, little shorter. Yeah, this so one. this is shorter, but but it but it's used well and to effect. I think it's really nice because because we know it's, uh, Anthony Quinn is the star of the show, and then we see mm-hmm. Anthony Quinn freshly having gotten the shit beaten out of him by Cassius Clay, and he's just a wreck. The actual Cassius Clay, by the way. The actual way. Cassius Clay yeah. is playing is playing is playing, uh, playing young Muhammad Ali in this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, the first we see of him is is him, you know, being dragged staggering out of the ring and in front of a mirror, and suddenly you see his face. And you're like, oh yeah. god damn, this guy took it. Yeah, yeah, he looks like a California raisin for sure. He, you know, you were you were saying he's clearly the star, and he is the star. Um, but but he had there's such a cast here. I mean, Jackie Gleason, uh, fresh off of this is between 
Um, the Hustler, 61, and mm-hmm. Soldier of the Rain, 63. Mm-hmm. Um, Gleason is fantastic in this. And so, so Quinn has to be that good to outdistance Gleason, and he is. Yeah, and Mickey Rooney is in it, and he does a fantastic job, too. I mean, in a quieter way. Uh, you know, this year, it's between this and Breakfast at Tiffany's for <laughs> Mickey Rooney's best role. But I'm going to give it to this one. I'm You're right. i give it to this one, yeah. yeah well, yeah. So, so the premise is really, you know, this is um, potentially his uh, Quinn's last fight, and yeah. he's, he's uh, mountain Rivera, Mountain right? Rivera, this correct. this a huge guy from New Mexico. By the way, Quinn was a bigger guy. Yeah, but um, they they use movie magic. In oh, this do they ever? Yeah, they sure do. I think I think they the honestly use different monster. door frames <laughs> and things when he walked through them, and definitely like upshots, yeah. camera angles. And he looked so like forth. John Wayne. He looked like Anthony Quinn is John Wayne, which is movie. weird because if you look at Back huge. to Baton, a film that we've talked about before, John mm-hmm. Wayne towers over him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Movie so the, magic. He's a goddess again. Definitely the movie magic in this so, one. So he's he's got this shit beat out of him he's been doing this for 17 years he's, he's, he's a rough 37 one, one years old one more good shot to the face and he might never he never see again the way they put it is you'll be you might as well give him a cup of pencils Go, yeah, give him a cup of pencils yeah so, so so it's his last fight he's unaware he's dopey which we he's, call merch now he's <laughs> punch drunk um, Gleason is his uh, manager, mm-hmm. and I guess coach is uh, Mickey guess, Rooney. Yeah, Mickey Rooney is like the trainer. Okay, yeah, the guy, yeah, yeah trainer, right? Yeah, right. so so Cut man trainer. The difference between between at least at least initially between Jackie Gleason and and Mickey Rooney is Mickey Rooney gives a shit, like okay. really deeply cares. He really feels like this, like Mountain About Mountain Rivera. is his kid. Yeah, and it's not clear that Gleason does it all. That Gleason feels he's been with him a long time. Yeah. He's put money into him. He owes him. Um, something and here he's losing this kind of piece of property and at the same time because he's part of this trio he can't openly be um, you know uh, dismissive or cruel you know because they all live together yeah now on the other hand it becomes much clearer as the movie progresses yeah. that his his relationship with Mountain Rivera is he manipulates the big head He's had this kid on the hook for a lot of years. Well, what, but, he knows how to he knows how to work him psychologically. But does. what's what's even a, an extra layer to that is maybe it's not completely clear to audience members, but that the question about how much of that manipulation in, is motivated by love also. Right, you yeah. know, so it's, it's kind of there interesting. Is, there is love coming from his character, yeah. named oddly Mish. I'm not sure exactly how that's spelled, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, but no, there is an affection from him, yeah. but it's it, it's. It's a predatory. It's a, it's a, it's a weird and predatory one in some ways. Yeah, for sure. Well, it, and so it's a. I mean, it's written by uh, Rod Serling of of uh, um, Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone fame. Now, Twilight Zone. By the way, it, so many people forget that Twilight Zone. This resembles one of the better episodes of Twilight Zone in mm-hmm. a way. And then not every Twilight Zone is about like some sort of twist and weirdo yeah. thing. Some of them are just like Stephen King. Like it's just a good short story, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, this had originally been in 1955 or six. Uh, um, Playhouse ninety. Playhouse ninety. Talk right. about that. That had Jack Palance in the in yeah. the um, yeah, Anthony Jack Palance in the Anthony Quinn role, uh, Keenan Wynn uh, mm-hmm. as Mage, played Mage, and uh, the the Mickey Rooney part was actually played play, by uh, uh, Keenan Wynn's father. Oh, what the hell is his name? Uh, Edwin, mm-hmm. who uh, had never done a serious role in his entire life. The guy, he was goofy. He was, uh, if you know the voice of the the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland, that's Edwin. Edwin, no, Whoa, actually, Edwin. Let me tell you, yeah, like he, he was he was really super cartoony vaudeville comic. Oh yeah, and that's so that's fifty five. So later on, he went on to do. Um, 
another serious role in uh, uh, yeah. Diary Van Frank. Yeah, but in this case, yeah. but this was his first. And quite mm-hmm. frankly, the producers had, like, were terrified mm-hmm. that he wasn't going to be able to keep a straight face while doing the role. And he did. He managed to pull it off. It so was, I've never seen the Playoffs it's 90 version. So it's good. It's good. It's yeah. good. It's, it's not this movie, though. No, it's no. much more optimistic. In the end of the movie, we see we see Mountain Rivera going off. By the way, Mountain Rivera is played by Jack Balance. He's a West Virginian. He's from the mountains. That's where he gets his name. Anyways, but in this case, he we see him going off on a train to go teach a summer camp. Well, so, so it's a totally different and into and this so that's movie. what happens here is like what do you what's he what's he do at the end of his career which clearly this has to be yeah and there are a couple of roads he can take and one is to sort of you know become a working man of some type you right. know like he he applies for a job as a as a um but he's hurt by his own fame because he, he keeps applying for a job as like uh you know like just a like a dock laborer or something like that and every guy on the dock knows him as Mountain Rivera their hero boxer so they can't, they find it hard yeah. to take him seriously cuz he's looking for a job so there's that and but but he's given this opportunity by Julie Harris ah, who's who runs a, a sort of a unemployment agency of some sort and he mm-hmm. goes in there and, and tells a story and she takes takes a liking to him because he's got this very personal story and he is his character is you know it's a little bit of like Lenny from of mice and men mm-hmm. but even much more likable and not retarded either, just sort of punch drunk. He's taking a lot of shots. There's a lot of head trauma there. Yeah. But there's also a dignity. There's also like there's this absolutely guy. He dignity. has a fucking integrity. 111 fights. Never took a dive. Never took a dive. I was once ranked the fifth in the world. Number five. That's something. You know, yeah. I mean, in reality, that would be something. Absolutely. And he's a man of absolute integrity. That's his thing. And then mm-hmm. that's where... The, the tragic comedy rub, the tragic rub comes from. And this is before, you know, now, you know, anyone who was number five in any sport 20 years ago could either have um, a reality TV show or mm-hmm. still be making some money hawking, you know, the equipment for that sport or something. This is right. all before that time. You right. were just dead. Yeah. To the world, and if you were a boxer, holy shit! I mean, you were the Fuck worst it, kind what of could dead. you do, right? So, so he's got your brain dead walking around. She's looking at him like, I don't know that I have options for you, but she has this idea that mm-hmm. he could be part of like a summer camp, yeah, right? And he, because of his name, that might be of interest to people, mm-hmm. and so there's that because he is a sweetheart. But yes, but yes. Mesh, on the other hand, the Jackie Leeson character, well, he. You want to say? It? Go ahead. Oh, uh, he uh, basically uh, he dropped all of his money and in the way we talked, go. Talked a local criminal, uh, a, a local gangster, mm-hmm. into dropping a shit ton of her money mm-hmm. uh, into Mountain Revere, not lasting four rounds against Cassius Clay, wherein he lasted seven and took a beating. So he's already been betrayed from the beginning of the right. film. But now, Mountain didn't go down early. Now there's a way to not only keep the career going in general and keep the relationship going, mm-hmm. whatever that is. You're not sure right. exactly this how is, manipulative it is between Gleason. And he, mm-hmm. but also for him to pay those people back, and that is for Mountain Rivera to become a wrestler, which Professional is wrestler. all dig- I mean, in the fifties, we all know about wrestling, yeah. WWE, right? But 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 there's there, a peculiar respectability to MMA, it now that did and not exist. But there's back then, it's only you know George <laughs> the Washing Machine, you know yes. Johnson. It's just freaks. It's yeah, just absolutely. a freak show and nothing but. And you have that. You have midget wrestlers, and <laughs> so it's like you know, is he going to sell him out? And and in the middle is Mickey Rooney, who's the that, that Jackie Gleason is a dick, which he kind of is, yep, yep. and he wants to save Mountain Rivera, but honestly, he really can't. The, he's he smelling can't the betrayal. Right, right. And then there's that, too. Make you, and, and by the way, also, just the physicality of, you think about um, this large sort of like in-shape, out-of-shape guy body, you mm-hmm. know, Anthony Quinn, with the upshots from the camera angles to make him seem larger. Then you have a midget 
Mickey Rooney, Just and then trainer. you have like the most agile fat man of all time, <laughs> Jackie Gleason. Just yeah. put those three in a room; it's really interesting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And Julie Harris, who is not like ever been a favorite of mine. I, I, I've never been sort of moved by her, but in this film, she is really good. If I wanted a, if I wanted a banging nun who'd save my soul, it'd be her. That's what she'd look like, I think. She's got Our that next quality. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great film. It's a great yeah. soundtrack as well. Um, and it's it's very digestible. It's we're yeah. talking like 85, 90 minutes. Yeah, and as I said, one of my favorite movies of all time. So yeah. fuck, I like it. All right, now I moving mean, on from there to nineteen sixty eight. We have <coughs> now this is a film our grandmother really loved, and I'm kind of interested in this because it's a time period in the late sixties mm. where we get um, films about. Catholicism. Yep. And for and by Catholic Catholics. Well, for many, many reasons. So this film is 1968's The Shoes, the Shoes of, of the, the Fisherman, right? Yep. So, um, okay, we got Anthony Quinn. Mm-hmm. We have Laurence Olivier. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Oscar Werner from Ship of Fools. <laughs> yes. And in I a bunch of other things as well. One of his last serious roles, anyway. Yeah. Um, He's the lovable German. Now, this film, I, I want to give, I want to put this out there and see as we're talking about it if you agree with this. Um, I'm going to characterize this film as it's it's a longer film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's serious. Mm-hmm. It is sometimes charming. It's mm-hmm. kind of like quiet and interesting and introspective. Mm-hmm. It talks about social issues. So, like, check, check, check. I'm really in. It's a really interesting film. It is, on the other hand. Kind of a naive film and mm. clearly a propaganda film. Sure. And so, but I didn't mind that that yeah. much. And so, okay, so what we have is we have um, in Siberia mm-hmm. a political prisoner, former priest, former cardinal? Or was yeah. he a cardinal at that point, right? Uh, well, yeah, he, I guess he would have been a cardinal or at least a bishop at, at minimum. Anthony Quinn, who's... Which, who, oddly enough, he's Roman Catholic and he's in Russia. But that never really gets discussed. But never, let's leave that to the That's side. It's a big place. It's yeah, a big country. Yeah. yeah, yeah they're they're always always Harry. And always around. Anyways, but he... Um, yeah, so he is a political prisoner. And uh, he gets freed by the uh, the... the the Pope's, uh, the, the Vatican's uh, machinations finally get him freed. He's, he's you know, uh, he's a martyr. Well, he makes a deal with Lawrence Olivia, who plays, who plays a, a Russian commissar. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't know. It's not one of... Another guy uh, played a bunch of different things. Olivier's finest moments in nah. film at all. But, nah. but the idea is somehow, um, you know... He's going to be freed, but but Olivier wants to give him the impression that, um, well, we could sort of help us out and you could do us favors in the future. And immediately what's established is this character, he's one of these, like, I've, I'm free whether I'm in prison or not. Right. You know, like, like, the Nelson Mandela kind. I mean, yeah. a martyr. You're like one of those kind of people. So he won't make a deal after 20 years. And, right. they, of course, he goes anyway right. off to Vatican City. Right. And this, by the way, this I wonder, I, I'm not too sure, um, Pope John Paul, he had the similar thing, wasn't he? He was Polish. Prisoner. He was a prisoner uh, in Poland, I did not know like that. a political prisoner before coming. I, I think, but I wonder if there are shades and reflections. Well, so this, this is all. A, wrong this is that. all a time period that's like it's it's. Um, uh, I think Vatican II, right? So it's like late sixties yeah, to yeah. like nineteen eighty, right? Yeah, the beginning Pope of the John liberalization. Paul, yeah. Okay. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, also heavy into the Cold War, so it's an American-made film yep. where you know the Russians are kind of shitty, and but also you want to see like a good Russian among them. It's it's not the Russian people; it's the right. Russian government. We have to have that right. conversation a lot. But and, I thought, the, and ultimately, we're all against the Chinese who are right. fucking lunatics. There, in this are, movie. there are a couple of annoying subjects. 
subplots. I mean, one of the subplots is a pretty big one, and that's that that the Chinese and and Russian Russia are sort of threatening war with each other. So yeah, that well, China's having issue. a huge famine, and so and so one of their ways of maybe alleviating it would be to go to war with somebody and. That's yeah. one of the things they're trying. That's one of the subplots of what's going There's on. There's another subplot that comes up about a, a news reporter and his wife and his girlfriend that I just found kind of unnecessary in yeah. a weird way. But but we'll talk about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I find interesting is early on in the film, part of um, Quinn's ethos, and it's a very serious ethical, moral position he has mm-hmm. because he's had 20 years to refine it as a political prisoner, um, uh, includes things, though, like... Um, how important, how violence is sometimes acceptable if you understand the context of the evil that you are facing. Mm. And I'm thinking like, okay, here's a film where the, where the Russians <laughs> are being Cold War, 1967, right. we got Vietnam, yeah. and it's a perfect sort of like little allegory for the, the establishment's position right. on, on uh, violence yeah, and, sure. and war. Right, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Which is how they got Hollywood to be so pro-Catholic for this movie, or, say, or something like that. It's an interesting time, yeah. too. Because, and it's, but it's also a film, you know, when, when Quinn gets to, to Vatican City, the first person who befriends him, who actually sort of helped bring him over Oscar Werner who's um, not a heretic but not not a heretic you know he's he's um, he's a priest who who's um, a humanist he's groovy well, but he is actually—he you know, is kind of a groovy priest. What's from the interesting time is I remember seeing this when I was too young to mm. watch it, right? Like when I was twelve, and our grandmother loved this film. And so Oscar Werner is talking about his ten unpublished books and mm. about the relationship between poetry and a humanist position and evolution and what it has to do with a, a, right. um, both secularism and a deep religious faith. And he's and and. Quinn is sort of like um, not smirking. He doesn't no. look down on him, but he's sort of like, "Look, you, I don't, I don't feel God coming from you. Right. You're very bright, and this is interesting, and I like you." And he has compassion for the torture that Werner is obviously suffering. Absolutely, but but I don't feel God coming from you. And I remember the first time I watched it, not a particularly <clears throat> religious child or anything, thinking, "Oh yeah, Quinn." Yeah, it, it, Werner was just a lot of double talking there. Uh-huh. It's sort of like when you watch, you ever watch um, a, 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 a bad sitcom and the mm. smart person in the sitcom says something and all the other people are like, what? And you think to yourself, that was very easy to follow what that guy said. I felt that way watching this because Herzog... Yeah, we call that, uh, we call that uh, what the, the Big Bang Theory, I think. Yeah, well, Werner was Fun. actually saying really interesting stuff. Yes. Whether it's true mm-hmm. or not, It was what, what I like about this film is it <coughs> takes time to have philosophical conversations. It's yeah. like an excuse for some interesting philosophical conversations about mm-hmm. religion, existence, the big questions. Right. right. Anyway, so, so that's an interesting relationship. And also it kind of goes into, like, I think it goes into a little bit just the mechanics of Pope. Pope electing. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah. This is the movie where I learned how popes. Oh, the elected. white and the, the black. The, the white and the black smoke. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's well, kind of cool to me. So, so the first half is basically him getting there, him sort of finding his feet, him being different as a result of many things, but also including his his tenure as a political right. prisoner. His ethic and his and his, tour, and his suffering. And yeah. the second half is you know he gets elected pope. Weirdly, well, yeah, absolutely. In a weird, unbelievable move, he gets elected pope. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the man with the least power suddenly becomes the big pope. So, yeah, yeah. So. And the more he resists, the more they know he's right for the role. Exactly, <laughs> annoying motherfuckers. No, that means I don't want to stop. Yeah, so. <laughs> but it's you know it's it's really interesting. And, and the the other subplot was there's there's um a, a, like a, a BBC or CBS you know news anchor who's who's assigned to um, play political nice guy reporter mm. to the scene, but he's having his own ethical crisis with his wife. Right. 
And um, I don't know. I mean, look, there are so many things that are probably the boring subplot of the whole thing. And there are. I'm sure it was really interesting as fuck in the book. There are corny, corny aspects of the film. How many times do you see a heroic, um, like a rabbi or a heroic um, priest um, enter a room and someone says, We're not of your faith? And all of a sudden he knows all the sort of like rit- rituals and rites to other faiths. Right, right. And it's a little bit unbelievable. But it might be just a victim like, of it's one of the early times of it doing that. Right. Or in a kind of cult, yeah. yeah Unbelievable. But you're like, yeah, it's pretty fucking cult, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, Quinn's, and yeah. <laughs> so old Anthony Quinney. I mean, I love him in this, too. Oh, I think that. He plays a Polish pope. A, Ger- a Russian pope. That's it. Yeah, it's Russian. I, he's about, I, I'm going to say it's about half an hour too long. Um, yeah. There's there's a little bit too much going. That whole thing about the news guy, he could be lost. Absolutely could be he lost. Drop that thing, yeah. Yeah, and there's a little bit of like... Pretty... My dinner with Werner. That's what this movie should have been. <laughs> there's a little bit of pretty womanism in it where, you know, he... he so, or, or I should say like Roman Holiday, actually, where right. it's like he, he goes out to the city to be among the people who but mostly don't recognize him. Unless they do a double take after they see him and look at a newspaper <laughs> or something, you know. What? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Right, and some kid, some some woman is yelling for Lorenzo to come home. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Some tenement he's hanging out with for with that's with some widow or something like that. Yeah. But he is, you know, it is, and it's a little <laughs> bit overdone on like he's the people's pope. Yeah. Um. But but but, but it hey. reminded me of of actually how I had not seen this film since we've had Pope Francis, mm-hmm. who is kind of like seen as the people's pope. Now I have about three or four people in my life who try to correct me and I haven't followed up on their information like oh no he's terrible as the others but I don't know I like this the real guy and, yeah. and this is like a um, a prototype of, of uh, Pope Francis I would say sorry yeah well there's there have been like people popes throughout history sure <laughs> people popes people popes people popes people popes yep. people pope on the ropes uh, no it, but there have been throughout history and this is uh, this is an example of one of them and yeah I think Francis is too I think yep. there's only so much a pope can do and still be the pope and be be accessible to the people. That's just yeah. yeah that's that's a lot. That's a shit ton of baggage that boy, that boy's carrying around. Now I'm stretching it here because when I said that in the like the mid to late sixties, there was an interest in like Catholic films again, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm stretching the comparison here because I mean they're not the same story at all, but they have the same same tonality, the same sort of like intention, and that's the agony and the ecstasy. Yeah. But I can't tell you how much I didn't enjoy that film, and I really enjoyed <laughs> this film, and by comparison, because <laughs> when, that one was. Whether it be a make an end, you never. But that film, I mean, uh, uh, that one that was, was, I think, trying to like tell you something all the time. Mm. And this one was just an exploration of, I think, what all <coughs> religious folk who I respect yeah. and admire. My wife is actually one of them. Mm-hmm. She, I'm an atheist. She's a Christian. It's yeah. a sitcom. Um, that's people like so, that. That's so strange to me. Yeah, but uh, that that I I really respect, and that's that. The the people who are truly religious, if I may use that phrase, pull back and ask themselves questions. Yeah, yeah. I'm no fan of Mother Teresa, but I, I became a little bit more of a fan of hers when in her letters it was discovered that many times she questioned the existence of God. Sure. And so this is a film that sort of puts you in touch with that perspective. And I can only come at it from the non-religious point of view to say that it's a very stimulating and comforting film that way. I don't know what it would be like for someone who's Catholic, for instance, but I suspect, I mean, our grandmother loved it, that yeah. that serious Catholics and serious religious people like a film that has religious people acting like human beings. Yeah, isn't that fun? 
Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I come I come from it like having watched it as a kid, and so mm-hmm. it has that nostalgic quality to yeah. it. And then watching it over the years, it's still, I mean, it holds up, and it, it has those qualities you had. Like, I wasn't, when I first saw it, I was up to for the pomp and the, you know, yeah. oh, here's Anthony Quinn being cool again. Yeah. Wearing weird, weird white clothing or whatever. I didn't yeah. know. It's but incredible on, that we ever slept with girls uh, ever yeah, that, that it, we thought. It, we, we rely on their poor judgment uh, every time, baby. Hey, don't you understand? It's Anthony Quinn acting cool as a pope. Yeah. Pop and circumstance, baby. Hmm, that's what I call my penis and my balls. Pop and circumstances. Wow, that's dry. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Anyways, um, no, yeah. So I, I, it's, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's yep. a great movie. I don't think no, it's a great I'd movie. Give, I don't I'd think give it a strong three stars. Yeah, sure. Three out of what? Four, four right? Yeah. yeah, okay. I'll give it I'll give it a strong three myself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, worth watching, worth checking out. If you've never seen it, go check it out. Absolutely. All right, Tommy. Well, um, it's been another fine episode, a fine evening with you. The Finley's on Finley. You know, if you want to Finley, Finley, Finley's on Finley. That's a new theme song. If you want to drop us a line or ask some questions or make some observations, please email us at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. You can always rate and review us on iTunes, and we'd sure appreciate it if you consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at the $5 plus Mm, per month level. That would be good. Finley's on film. If you do that, you'll have access to two monthly Patreon-only episodes and Finley. the archive of Finley Patreon-only episodes. Known Tom, do you have anything? Finley's Fine Reserve, I might like to point out. Yeah. And as for myself, yeah, come check me out on uh, TomSmithComedy.com. Mm-hmm. Keep up with the uh, with keep up with my steady glide into the hill. Come on out, watch the show. Steady glide into the hill. Into the hills. <laughs>